Amen, amen. You know, as I said earlier, tonight's going to look a little bit different as Pastor Chuck's not here to preach the message. But you know, one of the things I've loved most about working alongside Pastor Chuck over the last few years is that I just see so much of him wanting to equip and develop other people. Our staff is so much like that too. You know, we have a worship team that's constantly pouring into younger people who are coming up to lead the church someday. Pastor Chuck is the same. And so tonight we are in great hands, guys. I want to introduce you to three different people who are going to be bringing the message tonight. First, we're going to start off with Zach over here. Zach, four for four. Zach, for those of you who, for those watching who don't know your last name, can you pronounce it for us? Okay, here we go. It's Pororo. Pororo. There okay. you go. You got it. All right, got or it. There's an H four. in there. Yeah. Yeah, so we call you four for four. There okay, we go. got it. So Zach is an intern with JHM, Junior High Ministry. We love Zach. You guys hear him and see him all over the different videos that he does with Pastor Steve. Then we got Pastor Steve over here, our JHM Woo! pastor. Probably best known now as Jessica's husband, right? Yeah, yeah so that's great. We For love sure. her. And then finally, we've got Pastor Talia over here. Now, I got to shout Pastor Talia out because typically she's pretty behind the scenes, but she's also one that develops our communicators that you hear consistently throughout the weekend and throughout the week. And so tonight she's going to be front and center bringing the message alongside these other two guys. And we're glad to have you guys. Thank you for being here to bring that message with us tonight. So if you don't know me, my name is Zach. You might be sitting here thinking uh, maybe you clicked on the wrong video. Maybe you're watching the wrong church because this guy doesn't really look like Pastor Chuck. And I know people think we're twins all the time, but uh, I'm here to tell you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like I said, my name is Zach. I'm an intern here at the church specifically for our junior high ministry. So shout out to you guys. But what I want to do right now is I just want to start this time off asking a question. And the question that I want to ask is how many of us have either said or maybe we've heard this phrase before? Everything happens for a reason. Yep. I think we're all pretty used to that. It's pretty popular both with believers and even non-believers too. And uh, the, the reason why I'm smiling when I, when I hear this phrase is because it always makes me think of something that happened with me and my girlfriend uh, actually a couple months ago. And we were pretty new in our relationship. We were a couple months in. And I remember I was driving and then I remember Priscilla told me something that was, it was pretty deep. It was something that was pretty heavy. And me not really knowing what to do, not wanting to say the wrong thing. I just went with the generic. I played it safe and I said, well, everything happens for a reason. And man, I will never forget her response to that. Because what she said, she said, that is terrible theology. <laughs> And I remember sitting there and uh, looking back on that now, uh, she couldn't have been more right. And I'm so lucky to have someone who will call me out when I'm wrong, not let me go around saying things that are not true. So shout out to her. But in the moment, I did not want to want to admit the fact that that was wrong. And I wanted to argue. And I got to a place where I know a lot of us guys get. And I was arguing something. And the more that I argued it, the more I realized how wrong it was. Yet I continued to argue. But it actually ended up being a really cool moment. Because during that time, we were able to take some time and finally, like, look past the surface of this phrase because I think we hear it so much, but we never really look deeper into what it means. And I think it was really cool because it wasn't too long after that, that Pastor Chuck actually on a Wednesday service, he preached on this very topic and uh, on this term. And it was a part of his, of this series that we're in called Behind the Scenes, All About God's Will. And he related this phrase to God's will. So if I may quote the legend himself, uh, Pastor Chuck said, there are choices that we make that just aren't God's will for us. And I remember sitting there and this, this just didn't seem right. Like I remember sitting, like thinking like this just feels like it's putting God in a box or it's giving us humans too much control. But the fact is that 
in order to truly understand this, I think it's important that we look at two terms that are very important. So the first one is God's permissive will. So what this means, you could think of this uh, when, when you think of the term free will. So that means that God loved us enough that he gave us minds of our own. He didn't create us with robots. God's not concerned with just letting us be mindless uh, uh, robots that he controls to worship him. But he loved us so much that he gives us uh, the power to choose if we're going to do right or do wrong or to choose if we're going to follow him or all of those things. And if we're going to talk about God's free will, then it's also very important that we talk about God's, per, or, sorry, God's sovereign will which means that even though despite we have, uh, we have free will, we can make whatever choices we want, God still remains sovereign. He remains in control, and he's uh, involved in every single detail of our lives. And the, the, more, that I, the more that I learned about these topics and the more that I uh, kind of studied uh, what the Scripture has to say about this phrase that we hear all the time of everything happens for a reason, I just couldn't stop thinking about the fact that, like, if this, is, if this statement is true, how do you explain this to someone? Like for the person who lost their job, like how do you tell them that everything happens for a reason? Or the person whose relative just passed away because of COVID, how do you tell them that everything happens for a reason? Or even in my case, how do you tell a junior high student who's in my life group who says that uh, he can't even remember the last time he got to see his friends and now he's battling depression at age 12? How do you tell him that everything happens for a reason? And... This may be shocking to some of us, but uh, not everything that happens to us, God causes. Or I'll say it like this, God doesn't cause everything that happens to us. Some things are just a product of sin. We live in a fallen world. We are all sinners. And if we go around, it, and, I, and I know a lot of us have done this, if we uh, make a decision, if we choose to go against God's will, if we choose to do our own thing, and then we get to a place and we're like, God, why'd you do this for me? Or God, why'd you cause this to happen for me? God, why'd you put me here? And God's like, bro, like you decided to do this. Like that, that was your choice. But at the same time, God is involved with us. He is there with us. He is for us wherever we are, wherever our sin brings us. God is still there for us. So in summary, uh, pretty much so everything. So we can't say, I'll say it like this. So we can't say that everything happens for a reason because we're sinful and we're constantly going against God's will for us. But what we can say with full confidence and full assurance is that we serve a God who will cause all things to work together for his good. And uh, that's straight from Romans 8, 20. And I just want to take a second to, to read this and to read what this verse does not say. It does not say that God causes some things to work together for our good. It does not say that God causes only good things to work together for the good of those who love him. But it says that we serve a God who serves, who causes all things to work together for our good. How does he do this? Because God is sovereign. And what I want to do right now is look at the greatest demonstration of God's sovereignty known to man, and that is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So right now, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to or turn on your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, and we're going to be in verses uh, 27 and 28. And just some background for this text. Uh, pretty much what's going on is this happened uh, not too long after Jesus had ascended back into heaven. And when he went up, the Holy Spirit came down and it fell on the church. And this birthed the, the church of Jesus. And man, like when this happened, like the Spirit was moving like crazy. There were thousands of people coming to the faith. And the more that the church grew, the more that the Pharisees wanted to stop this. And they wanted to stop. The th they did everything they could to stop Jesus because they just hated him so much. And that's where we're going to jump in. We have the apostles there together. They're praying that God would give them boldness in these crazy times. So we'll jump right into their prayer. And uh, this is what it says in verses 27 and 28. It says, in fact, this happened in this very city 
For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people, were all, the people of Israel were all against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But lean in here. Don't miss this. Everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. So in other words, Herod, he tried to kill Jesus when Jesus was just a baby. Pontius Pilate, he was the one ultimately responsible for putting Jesus to death. The Gentiles, they were the ones who physically killed Jesus. Even the Israelites who were Jesus' own people wanted him dead. So just just take a second and, and imagine how Jesus felt in this time, how much pain and suffering this caused him. And we can't forget that when we talk about Jesus, he is the son of God. He is perfect. He is sinless and he is blameless. Therefore, making his crucifixion the greatest crime known to mankind. But don't miss this. Don't miss what it says in verse 28. It says, but everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. This means that God brought Jesus, this means that God brought purpose to Jesus' suffering. God brought purpose to Jesus' suffering. And that purpose is to free you and I from our sins. Can I just encourage you this evening by saying that the same God that brought purpose to Jesus' suffering is the same God who was using all the pain, all the hardship, all the disappointment that you're going through, and he will bring purpose to that. Why? Because he works all things. Remember, he works all things together for the good of those who love him. And here at Crossroads, we believe that there's no such thing as purposeless suffering. We believe that the Bible actually teaches this too. And uh, we believe that God can and will bring purpose to whatever we're going through. You lost your best friend, God can bring purpose to it. You're fighting an addiction, God can bring purpose to it. You, you or a loved one has major health issues, God can and will bring purpose to all of that. So as I close this, let me just ask this question. What if God has been using all of the pain that you've gone through this year to get you right where you need to be? because he did the same thing for Jesus. And I think of Jesus praying in the garden hours before he would be crucified on the cross. And I just, like, I, imagine the, the pain that he was going through. Imagine what was going on in his mind, knowing that he was gonna have to do this. And we think that masks are hard. We think that wearing masks is hard, but try carrying the weight of human sin on your back. Jesus knew what awaited him. Jesus knew what was gonna happen yet he submitted perfectly to the will of the Father. And if you're like me, then you've wondered how was he able to do this, knowing that he was gonna have to go through all this because Jesus knew something that you and I need to know. And Jesus knew that his pain was not in vain. Your pain is not in vain. Jesus knew that his suffering was meaningful and how encouraging is it to know that not everything happens for a reason, but we serve a God who works all things together for the good of those who love him. And I said that like 20 times, but just don't miss that God will work all things together for the good of those who love him. So if you don't remember anything that I've talked about, anything that I've said in this time, that's okay. But just remember this. Remember that God is working in each and every single one of our lives and God will bring purpose to our suffering and that our pain is not in vain. That's really good. I really love the idea of your pain is not in vain. And uh, all of us in 2020, we've all experienced a lot of loss. We've all experienced a lot of hardship. And uh, you guys know this for sure. But, you know, at the start of 2020, we pr I proposed to Jessica. We were getting to get married in April. And we were super excited to get married. And then COVID hit. And we're like, oh, now we got to postpone our wedding. 
And then, then we picked a different date, June 5th. We're like, all right, our anniversary is June 5th. Let's make it happen on June 5th. And then family members get COVID and they're in and out of the hospital and they're dealing with ICU. And it's just like, are you kidding me? All right, let's pick a third date. And so we picked September 25th as our third date. And we were finally able to get married on September 25th, which was awesome. But looking back at it, with all the loss, with all the hardship, with all the plans that we had, and we're like, oh, now we got to change it. Oh, now we got to do this. Now we got to do that. Like, I look back and I'm like, God made September 25th the best day ever. And like, it was better than any of us could ever dreamed or imagined. And so I love that thought of your pain is not in vain. And uh, another thing that I want to talk about today that I've been seeing everywhere in 2020, especially with everything going on, um, is this idea of people giving advice. I don't know if you guys are on social media, and when you're scrolling on social media, you see just people trying to give advice on, like, you know, the, the election that took place or with COVID, if you should wear a mask or not wear a mask. And I'm like, everybody has this advice. And sometimes it's really good advice. Sometimes it's not so good advice. And... Uh, but I love the fact that people are willing to give advice and they're willing to put it out there. Like on Facebook, I got to stop going on there because I just see some, some advice. I'm like, that's cool. But tonight, I want to spend the next few moments with us talking about advice. Because I got to be honest with you and say that I've experienced some really good advice in my life, which I'm thankful for. Like maybe some of you guys have experienced the same advice. Put an amen in the chat if you are thankful for some good advice. Some advice that I've received when I was younger was, Steve, make sure to choose your friends wisely. Anybody hear that? Yeah, that's good that's advice. Good. That's good, right? Mm-hmm. Or this one, you guys could all agree. You probably tell Kennedy this, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Mm-hmm. Or the golden one, treat others the way you want to be treated. Or for you guys in the room, a wise man once said, a happy life is a happy wife. And uh, that is so true. In my first, we just hit three months of marriage, and uh, which is incredible. And that is true, even though we're still in the honeymoon phase. And I'm thankful for all the good advice that I've experienced. But I do know that there's some really bad advice, like I said, and I've been on that side of things too. And I've heard some really bad advice. And so what I wanted to do is, I was just curious as to see what, what bad advice is there out there. And so I went on my Instagram and I just asked my followers, hey, what's some bad advice you received? Go. Uh, And on my story, and these people replied, and I have with me some of the responses that these people put. Someone said to one of my friends, get married even if you can't afford it. It could be cute to struggle together. That is some bad advice, my friends. Or this one, make sure that you schedule all your college classes at 8 a.m. And now you have to understand, to a college student, that makes absolutely no sense to us. Maybe it might make sense so you get your day over with quicker. Or if you have a dream, just go after it. It doesn't matter if you have a plan in place, just do it. Don't. I I wonder how far that person got. (laughs) Are you sure you don't want to do that? Everyone else is doing it. Or this one that's very popular in culture. We hear about it in movies. We see it in movies. We hear about it in songs. Just follow your heart. Nope. Follow your heart. And I think about that phrase today because that's some advice that people are giving. And it sounds really nice. It sounds like we're helping people out when we say that. But when we say that to a friend who's struggling with a decision that needs to be made, it's like, I I can't help you in that decision. I don't really know what to say, but just follow your heart. Or when a coworker is deciding, maybe uh, I like this person, maybe not. Like, you're just not interested. You're like, girl, just follow your heart. Or uh, that's that's a pretty good impersonation, huh? (laughs) 
Or when a family member is mad at somebody else, you're like, I'm not trying to get in that. And so I don't want to get involved in that. And so you're like, just do whatever you're feeling and just follow that. And I hear this and I think to myself, oh my goodness, if I were to only follow my heart, it would lead me to make some pretty dumb choices that I would regret. Because the reality is, no one lies more to us than our hearts. Our hearts think about ourselves above everybody else. Our hearts tell us to act out of the emotion we're feeling in the moment. And as we talk about this phrase, follow your heart, or this advice, follow your heart, I can't help but to think of uh, a couple in the book of Acts. Like we're in the book of Acts with Zach. We're going to be in Acts chapter 5, so just on your phone, hit that arrow and move over to the next chapter. But in the book of Acts, we're given a look at the inside of the early church. And in the early church, everyday followers of Jesus, they would come together and they would eat. Like Pastor Chuck says, you got to eat. It's essential, right? <laughs> Food's always a must. The early church would pray together. They had life-changing relationships like we do here today. And they would read the scriptures together like we're about to do right now. And what was so beautiful and what I love about the early church is that they were unified. They were one. And what they would do is they would gather all their resources, the men and the women, they would gather all their resources in order to make a greater impact in their communities. And so today, that's what we're going to look at. And, and that's the story um, that we need to, that's the lens we need to look through when we look at this story, because this is the culture they established. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 5, looking at verses 1 through 11. We're introduced to Ananias and his wife, Sapphira. And so we don't know much about these people, but we do know that they had sold some of their land and they made some money off of it. And in the sale, uh, Ananias finally gets this money from the sale and he collects his money. And he, the first thing he does, I'm sure he goes to his wife, but then he, I envision he carries like this suitcase filled with cash and he's like, I'm bringing it over to the church because this was the culture that they had. He, he carries this large sum of money to the, the church and he drops it at the apostles' feet, which was the norm, which is what they would do. That day, Peter was one of the apostles there. And I, I envisioned Peter looking up at Ananias and looking down at this huge amount of money, and then he looks up. But Peter knows something that Ananias is trying to keep a secret. Mm. Peter knows something that Ananias doesn't want anyone else to know. Ananias and his wife, they sold their property, but instead of giving all the money like everyone else would do, they decided to keep some of their money for themselves. And so Peter, what he does, I love this, is Peter calls him out for what he's about to do. And Peter's like, dude, this, this isn't all the money. You're not being truthful right now. And Ananias, I envision him to be like a deer in headlights. He's all like, how did he know? No one's supposed to know about this. And he doesn't even say anything. This dude falls onto the ground and dies. And then people come, drag Ananias' body out, and they bury him. And the story gets even crazier because in verse 7, we're going to read in verse 7, verses through 11, it says this. Now an interval of about three hours elapsed, and his wife came in, and not knowing what happened. Could you imagine? And Peter responded to her, tell me whether you sold the land for this price. And she said, yes, for that price. Then Peter said to her, why is it that you've agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out as well. Shoot! And immediately she collapsed at his feet and died. And the young man came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard about these things. 
What a crazy story that is. I read this over and over again. I'm like, this is insane. But I believe this story is such a great illustration of what would happen if you and I were to follow our hearts. Ananias and Sapphira were stuck between this rock and a hard place. They were pretending to be faithful to God while at the same time wanting it their way and keeping some money for themselves. And I'm sure in the moment their heart was like, dude, you need to keep this money for yourself. Just give only some to the church. Well, his heart was also thinking, no, just just give it all so you could wow people with this huge donation. And they're in this teetering zone of, what do I do? And I think oftentimes we find ourselves in that teetering zone. And maybe you found yourself there, pretending to act one way, yet completely acting completely different when no one's looking. You know, you pretending to remain pure in your relationship, yet behind the scenes getting physical with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Pretending that your home life is great and your family is thriving, yet behind the scenes when nobody's looking, your family wouldn't agree. Which is why you and I, we cannot follow only our hearts. Our feelings usually aren't the most reliable source and they aren't the most reliable source. Ananias and Sapphira, they follow their hearts and what it does is it leads them to deceiving themselves, but not only themselves, the church and God. And I believe this is a depiction of what happens when you and I, we buy into the idea of we need to follow our hearts. We need to follow our feelings. And what it does is it confuses us and we make decisions that we probably are going to regret later. Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they could not regret what they did because they ended up dying. But had they known of their consequence, they probably either wouldn't have sold the land because they didn't have to technically, or they would have just gave the whole money. In Jeremiah 17, 9, I love this. It says this, the heart is more deceitful than all else, and it is desperately sick. I love this. Who can understand it? Not you, not me. The only one, that could un- the only one that's able to understand it is the one who made it. And so instead of following our hearts, instead of trusting our feelings because it sounds good or we want to tell people that because it's easy in the moment, we instead need to direct our hearts to God and ask him what we should do. You know, how we should act in the moment when we're really upset, how to handle certain situations, how we should handle disappointments when they come because they are gonna come our way for sure. If anything, 2020 taught us that. (laughs) And how we should deal with conflict. And we do this by spending time with God, by reading our Bibles and by praying because our feelings aren't the truth, scripture is. And you might be thinking, how do I know if it's God? You know, I sometimes am leaning towards, you know, that's a really good idea. Is it a God idea though? I'm not sure. I would encourage you to take a test and be like, hmm, is what I'm thinking, does it align with what the Bible says? Is what this person telling me, does it align with what the Bible says? And let me say this, it's not always going to feel good. Some decisions are hard that you need to make. You might have to make decisions that you don't like. But if God is involved, it's going to be better than anything you could have did on your own. Friends, our hearts aren't going to save us. They're not going to lead us to great places. So don't follow them. We need to be saved from our hearts like Jeremiah says. We instead need to follow the one who made our hearts. That's so good, Steve. So good. I know that if I would have followed my heart in 2020, um, it would have led me to some pretty dark places. 
So I'm loving that tonight we're talking about the things that people probably think are biblical advice and it's not. So everything does not happen for a reason. Don't follow your heart. I have a phrase for you guys that you might think is actually biblical um, because it sounds very biblical and I've heard it in 2020. Have you guys heard the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle? Yeah, you've all heard that phrase? Yes. Okay, so God won't give you more than you can handle. And the sad thing is that people believe this is Bible. Um, But any working moms out there who um, have had to deal with virtual school in 2020 would say that is not true for sure because no mom can handle virtual school right now and kids going through COVID and all of the stress of that, right? Can I get an amen in the chat from any parents out there? 2020 has been way more than we could all handle, right? And 2020 has been awful, but I have a friend who takes this to a whole new category. So this friend of mine at the beginning of 2020, her three-year-old daughter got diagnosed with leukemia. And then right after that, COVID hit. So they're quarantining in their house. And in the middle of all this, they have to replace their roof on their house. And it seems like the one day they're in between roofs, if that's how you say it, um, it decides to rain in Southern California. So they're quarantining in their house with a daughter who's going through chemo and it's raining inside their house. As if that's not enough, a couple of months later, their other child gets diagnosed with a tumor in their neck. Now, I talked to my friend the other day about this and I said, hey, what would you have done if somebody would have come to you and said, hey, well, at least you know that God doesn't give you any more than you can handle. And my sweet friend said, I would have punched them in the teeth. So, so yeah, you, you just don't say that to people because it's not an accurate statement. You see, I know that many of you that are watching right now, you're probably saying right now is a moment that's more than you can handle. So what are we supposed to do with that? Because that's meant to be as an encouraging statement, right? Like people say that because they want to encourage you. And, and so if it's not true, is there hope? And I want to tell you there is hope, and we're going to talk about that today. But first, I want to talk about where does that statement come from? Like, why do we say that? Well, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So in this passage, he's talking to the Corinthian church who's living in a very pagan culture, a very sexualized culture, a culture where they're all worshiping idols. And he's saying to them, I want you to live differently so that you could show them that God's way is better than the world's way. But it's going to feel impossible because everybody's doing the wrong thing. And so he's saying, I want you to know you're going to be tempted. But then he says, God is faithful. So the key is you're not going to be able to handle it, but God is faithful and he's going to provide a way out. So that's kind of where we get this idea that God's not going to give us more than we can handle. But there's multiple times in the Bible where we see people who are in circumstances that are beyond their mental, their physical, and their spiritual capacity, it seems like. It's beyond them. Their circumstances are just crazy. And since we're in Acts tonight, I decided to go to Acts 6 and 7, where we see one such circumstance. And it's with um, the leader in the church. His name is Stephen. And Stephen is a great man. He's got a great reputation. He's a leader in the church. He's been chosen to take over the ministry to widows and basically their food pantry of the day. He's running this ministry and he's really well loved by the Jesus followers of the day. But the Jewish leaders at that time, they don't like the Jesus followers because the Jesus followers are converting people from Judaism to Jesus's way. And that's making them lose a lot of power. 
And so they have uh, Stephen arrested because they start spreading lies about him. And they're, he's brought to trial before the Jewish leaders. And so let's see what it says in Acts 6, 8, where we pick up this story. It says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of the religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. Now, this is a very scary place to be because... They're accusing him of blasphemy, and the consequences for this is death, and usually it's some sort of torturous death. And so I would say that the kind of stress that Stephen is under right now is pretty terrible. He can't handle this. This is more than he can handle, and he's doing all of the right things. He's leaving this amazing legacy for the church, and people start telling lies about them because, about him because they can't combat the truth that he's speaking. So what does Stephen do when he's faced with more than he can handle? He relies on God. He's about to be given a chance to speak for himself, to kind of defend himself. And he can either cower and go back from what he said and just say, you know what, never mind, I don't mean that, and be safe. Or he can use this opportunity to tell them about Jesus and probably end up dying. And look at what it says in Acts chapter 6, verse 15. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became bright as an angel's. You see, Stephen was relying on God in that moment because he knew he was the, that was the only way he was going to get through this. And he goes on to preach one of the most powerful and convicting sermons where he gives these Jewish leaders a history lesson that they all knew, but he points at them, like he kind of gives them a mirror to look at and says, hey, look in the mirror. The problem is not me and us Jesus followers. The problem is actually you. And you're not on the right side of God. And here was their response. In Acts 7, verse 57, it says, The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusations, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul, and they stoned him. Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Now, what the heck? Isn't the good guy supposed to win? Like, this just seems so unfair. We're so trained to think that if you do the things that God wants you to do, you win. And we want to believe that life will never hold more than we can handle. However, Pastor Chuck has talked about God, that God has a permissive will, where he will allow things to happen even if he doesn't cause them. And right here, he allowed Stephen to be killed by these Jewish leaders. And the whole situation was way more than Stephen could handle. And the only way he was able to preach that sermon and not cower in the midst of getting rocks thrown at him and the pain was by relying on on Jesus every single second. In 1 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, God is telling us, my grace is sufficient for you. My power works best in weakness. I actually believe that the Christian life is the opposite of that statement that God won't give us more than we can handle. 
I think the Christian life is one where God constantly gives us more than we can handle so that we can become fully dependent on him. And we can show other people how much life is better when we have God. And I want you to really think about this. Don't you think about the stories that you're most inspired by, the people you're most inspired by. Aren't they always the people who face unspeakable hardship and yet they hold on to their faith in the middle of that hardship? There have been multiple times in my life where um, life has been way more than I could handle. And one of those times was when my firstborn son came into the world. He was taken out of me <laughs> uh, six weeks early by emergency C-section. And that whole pregnancy was just a nightmare for me because um, I had miscarried before I got pregnant with him. And so once I got pregnant with him, I felt like I couldn't celebrate because, well, that might happen to him. And then at 20 weeks or so, halfway through my pregnancy, I was diagnosed as high risk. And then at 34 weeks, it was a traumatic experience. I had to be rushed to the hospital. And in order to save his life and mine, they had to take him early. And I remember being in that bed and um, they're taking him out. It was kind of violent. And they bring him to my face so I can kiss his little face. And then they whisk him off to a hospital 20 miles away because there was not um, an intensive care unit at this hospital. And so I'm sitting in that bed and for three days I have to stay there and I can't go see him. And I remember three days later, I go to the hospital in Irvine and I walk up the stairs and I'm in this um, intensive care unit for all these little babies. And my little son is sitting in this incubator and he's got tubes coming out of his nose, down his throat, one inserted in the side of his chest. There's machines beeping all over the place. And I was just broken. I was just, this is my baby, and I can't hold him, and I can't feed him. And um, it was an emotional roller coaster because I'd go there in the mornings, and I'd come and see him, and we'd be sitting together, and the doctors would say, he's doing great. His oxygen levels are good. His lungs are developing. And then I'd go, you know, spend time with him, and then I'd go to eat lunch, and I'd come back from the cafeteria, and he would be there, and they'd say, he's taken a turn for the worst. And we've got to, you know, redo these things, and his oxygen levels are not looking good. And I just felt like it was so unfair. It was so much more than I could handle. I even remember one time they took out the tube in his side because they thought it was going to be okay and they let me stay in the room. And I'm watching my little four pound something baby arch his back and try to breathe as he's turning purple. And I'm thinking he's going to die. For sure he's going to die. And I remember thinking, Lord, if you take him from me, I don't know that I can handle that. And I don't know that I will still believe that you're good. And I remember that God was so clear with me. And instead of giving me assurance that my son was going to live, he said, Talia, whatever comes your way, I will give you what you need to handle that situation. So trust me. And that gave me such peace throughout that 17 days that my son was in the intensive care unit. Because even though I didn't have the assurance that everything would turn out the way that I wanted it to, I had the assurance that God would be with me and that he would give me whatever I needed to handle that situation. So yes, God does allow us to go through more than we can handle, but there's not anything that God can't handle. And our job is to be like Stephen and to be full of the Holy Spirit, gazing steadily into heaven and keeping our eyes on Jesus the entire time. Thank you for sharing that. That's an incredible story. What I find so cool is that baby that you're talking about is Noah, yep. right? Yes. 
Noah is in our junior high ministry, which is awesome. I love him, and I get, like, emotional hearing that story because he's an incredible young man. But what's crazier is Zach is, is Noah's small group leader yeah. at junior yeah. high. Yeah, and he loves you guys both so much. <laughs> man, we love him for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. That is so cool. But what I, my biggest takeaway from Talia's message was that we're going to experience hardship. We're, we're going to experience times of trouble, but God is always with us. And just like Talia mentioned with her friend, the reason her friend is able to experience all of that and go through all of that, which is insane, she knows and their family knows that God is with them. And so today, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you're watching this from. Maybe you're at home. Maybe you're in the car. I don't know where you are. But I want to give you guys an opportunity right now to accept an invitation where there is a God that loves you and I so much that he was willing to send his one and only son to die so that you and I could have a relationship with him. So that you and I, when we experience hardship, when we experience hard times, we don't have to do it on our own. We could connect to him. We could rely on him and he will bring us through those hard times. Just like Talia was able to get through that. It was because God was with her the entire time. The only thing that's constant in our lives is God. And so I want to give all of us an opportunity right now to accept God into your life. Maybe you've been in a relationship with God before, but you've experienced so much hardship. Maybe you bought into a phrase that you thought was accurate, or maybe because of 2020, you've experienced so much turmoil and so much hurt that you're like, I don't know if I could trust God. I don't know if he's there for me. I don't know if he really cares about me like everybody says he does. Friend, I'm here to tell you that he does. And he loves you so much. And he loves me so much. And so I want to give you an opportunity where you're, wherever you're at. And so we're going to pray right now. And then after we pray, if that's you, and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus today, where you can have a relationship with him, where you're saying, I'm done doing life on my own. I can't do it on my own. I need him to come alongside me. We're going to pray, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. So I want to go ahead. If you're a believer, why don't you be praying for those that are going to make the decision in just a second. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that we're going to go through hard times. We're going to experience hardship, but I thank you that you are with us through that. I thank you that you're so intentional and you are with us every step of the way, regardless of what comes our way. Even though our circumstances change, you don't. You remain the same. And so God, I pray for those people that need to make that decision tonight where they want to start off 2021 solid in a relationship with you, not relying on anybody else. And so God, I thank you for what you're going to do. If that's you tonight and you want to give your life to Jesus, you're saying, I'm over it. I'm done. I need to try something different. I've tried drinking. I've tried going back to drugs. I've tried everything, but nothing sustains me. I want to let you know that Jesus is there and he is going to sustain you. He's going to fill that void in your heart. And so if that's you, wherever you're at, maybe you were once in a relationship with him, but you stepped away or you've never given your life to him. I want to encourage you to repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I know that you love me. 
I know that you sent your son to die for me. Would you fill me with your love? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And I say yes to you. Would you forgive me of my sins? I want a relationship with you. Would you come into my life? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Well, amen. Praise God for all of you that made that decision. But there is another step. So we, we say we invite Jesus into our lives. We pray that prayer. That's the first step. But the next step is making it known. And so as we're online, one of the ways that you make it known is by texting amen to 69922. Text amen to 69922. Our team, they want to come alongside you as you made this incredible decision. We don't want you doing it alone. We want to come alongside you. And so remember to text amen. Pull out your phone right now. Text amen to 69922 and praise God for those that do. Well, it's been incredible. Praise God for all those decisions that were made.